0: Okay, praise the Lord. It is great to uh, start this fall season. It's great to see a lot of the students back. Uh, we welcome you. Thank you for coming out, and we thank you for joining us online as well. Uh, open up your Bibles to Joel chapter 1, 1 through 12, and we're going to get into a brand new series today in the book of Joel. I've never preached through this book, so I'm actually interested in hearing what I'm going to say. <laughs> You're like, ha!" <"Haha." laughs> I do know what I'm going to say today, though. Okay, praise God. Joel chapter 1, 1 through 12. This is God's word. If you're joining us here in person, it'll be up on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, it'll be on your screen at home. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, or Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. With the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And with the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And with the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten." Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth, for a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are like lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has ripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn and ministers, the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up. The fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of men. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory, and we worship you. And Father, truly, you're the only person that deserves the worship. You're the only reason why we should truly gather, although there are other blessings as well. But Lord Jesus, if we don't hear from you, if we do not fellowship and commune with you today, then what really have we done? So, Lord God, please be at the center of our minds and hearts, and please be with us now and speak through this word, your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, today we're going to be beginning a brand new series in the book of Joel, or Joel, or Yoel, however you say it. And like a flash flood out of nowhere, This little book with almost no introduction sweeps us into this crisis that happened to the Israelites in the ancient times. So they were facing this terrible crisis. And the prophet Joel, who we know almost nothing about, began to do something that few Christians seem to understand. And he began to interpret what this national crisis meant according to the word of God. And so right off the bat, okay, there's no introduction, We don't know anything about him, and he launches into telling us what is happening and how to understand and interpret what is happening. So he began to help the Israelites understand what was happening to them and how they should respond according to the word of God. And so as we begin this brand new series in the book of Joel, I want to start by asking this question, but how should we understand and respond to different crises that we're facing in our world? So as you look around the world, as you look at your own life, and there are crises, they may be on the horizon, maybe they have already broken open in your life, but how should you respond? Well, we just went through a worldwide pandemic that killed roughly 435 million people worldwide, according to the WHO. Since COVID, the global economy has been really hit hard with inflation, the highest in 40 years. And now economists are saying we're on the brink of a global recession, not just America, but around the world. Back in May 2022, the head of the U.N. World Food Program, a really high-level official, he went to the Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., and he testified. And he raised the alarm saying, because of rising food costs, because of supply chain issues, because of this war going on in Ukraine, he said there's going to be a global food crisis in 2023. These are his words. This is going to be a crisis beyond anything we've seen in our lifetime. Those are some shocking words. This is going to be bigger and more major than anything in our lifetime. The situation today is much, much worse than back in 2008, and we are already beginning to see the destabilization taking place in many countries, like Sri Lanka. We saw what happened in Mali, Chad, Burkina Faso. We are seeing protests and riots in Kenya, Pakistan, Peru, Indonesia, and I could go on and on. These were his literal words. And to almost kind of confirm what he was saying, just two months later, there was this big headline that I saw. But this one news site on July 12, 2022, said economic protests rage worldwide as challenges from inflation, Ukraine war, and coronavirus mount. Demonstrations unfolding in Europe, South America, Asia. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's a lot of crazy things happening right now. So our lives need to expand beyond just my school, my work, and Starbucks and hanging out with friends, amen? But there are a lot of things happening in the world. So these are just some of the challenges that we are potentially facing, and I'm sure you could think of more. And then there are the life-defining crises that people face in their own personal lives. And so again, there may be things on the horizon for you. Maybe they've already broken up in your life. But yesterday, I had this wonderful opportunity to go and talk to a bunch of young adults. Uh, They're from a church in LA. And so we went up to Big Bear, and I was the speaker at this retreat. And in one of the activities in the afternoon, we got around in a circle, broke off, men and women, and we did this activity called the life map. How many of you guys have done the life map? I know that there are people, I don't know why I'm laughing, it's actually a really serious activity, but there are people in our church who have done it. So we went through this exercise and everyone spent time thinking about their life and all the high points and all the low points. You're kind of charting it out, drawing these lines. And after you're done, it kind of looks like a stock chart. Right, things are going up, going down, up and down, up and down. And then after we finished drawing these life maps, we went around and shared it, or a lot of people, as much time as we had. And I remember as people were sharing their life maps, this is what I realized, man, pretty much everyone in this room has had a life-defining crisis that they went through. I mean, some people mentioned parents suddenly passing away unexpectedly, causing extreme hardship. Other people talked about physical injuries they went through unexpectedly. You know, broken relationships, relationships they thought were going to head into marriage. Some people, maybe even they were married. I mean, all kinds of things happening in their lives. Churches dividing and having to leave the church that they were in love with, and now they're just completely lost and searching. And so massive crises breaking open in people's lives And they define our lives. And so what am I saying? This is all of us. And so here's the question again. But as we face critical challenges in the world, as we face potential life-defining crises in our own lives, how are you going to interpret and understand these things? What are you going to look to? How are you going to respond to these things? And they are going to come. Well, I believe the book of Joel has the answer, or at least one answer, And facing the most devastating crisis of his day, this prophet rose up and he began to speak the word of God. And from the word of God, the Israelites began to get this perspective. But they were facing this national disaster of a lifetime. And we're going to get into it in a moment. But it was a plague of locusts. I believe this was a literal plague. It wasn't a symbol of something else. But in chapter 1, this is talking about an actual plague of locusts that came and devastated the crops in Israel. There was a mass food shortage and then famine. And in that dire situation, this prophet rises up. And a lot of people believe he was a temple prophet connected to the temple in Jerusalem because he talks a lot about the temple in this book. We're not going to get into that today. But this temple prophet begins to declare the word of God. And it says in Joel 1 verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. So that's how the book starts. He's saying here's a massive crisis in our lives. This isn't something far away. This is happening to us. And here's what God has to say about it. And so again, how will you respond? How are you going to understand the crises that break open in your life? Well, this is what Joel said. God has things to say. And even though the words of Joel sounded harsh at times, I want to make it clear right off the bat, this was God's grace. Okay, when God begins to speak into times of great devastation and crises, it is his grace. One Bible scholar said the locust plays were not only acts of judgment, they were words of revelation. They weren't just acts of judgment, but it was revelation from God. In other words, God is speaking. He's speaking to you and to me when crisis happens. They were words of revelation of the unique power of Yahweh and calls to return to the true and living Lord. So what does this mean? God's speaking, brothers and sisters. When you go through stuff in your life, God is speaking to you. So we need to pay attention. So God's word was in the crisis. What I mean by that is in the very midst of their crisis, God's word came to the Israelites to give them perspective, understanding, and help them to respond properly. This is why God spoke. And the fact that God would do all of that right in the midst of their crisis through his word, you know what that is? That's grace. That is God's grace. And so this is something we all need. But we all need to be filled with the word of God. And this is why, you know, over the years, you know, when I first started out, people used to tell me, it's like, Roy, you used to be a lot funnier when you used to preach when you were younger. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, when I go back to my home church in LA, they go, Roy, you used to be so funny before. What happened to you? Well, it's like, well, I'm I'm just preaching the word now. (laughs) Before, I used to tell jokes and stories and all kinds of stuff. But over the years, I just kind of shifted to like, you know what, you don't need to hear jokes when you come here on Sunday. What you need to hear is the word of God in me for 30, 40, maybe 50 minutes just explaining it to you. Why? Because you need to leave this place filled, brimming with the truths of the word of God. I don't care if you don't laugh or laugh or I don't care about that. You need the word of God and be so in tune with the word of God Week after week, as you come here and go, as you come here and go, you are filled with the word of God to the point when a crisis breaks open in your life, immediately verses, passages, books of the Bible come to your memory. Things that you know by heart and you go, oh, I see. I know what's happening. I hear. I know what God is saying. I know what to do. That's what you need. You don't need to be entertained for 40 minutes when you come here. You need the word of God, and it needs to shape us. It needs to go so deep within us, you need to literally be transformed and shaped by it week after week as you come and leave. So the word of God, working through the spirit of God, has that much power. It transforms, it shapes. You know, I love what this Australian politician said, but he said, and I'm sure he heard it from someone else, but he said, politics is downstream from culture. What he means by that is, politics is shaped by the values of our culture. And then he said, culture is downstream from beliefs. In other words, our culture is shaped by the beliefs that people have. And then he said something amazing. This Australian politician, he said, and in the West, those beliefs were shaped by the Bible. It's like, wow, that's quite a statement. Politics is downstream from culture, culture is downstream from, from beliefs, and here in the West, Those beliefs come from the Bible. So then what does that mean? The Bible ultimately shaped everything that we see. It shaped the world we live in. So what am I saying? This is what the Bible can do for us. See, it can shape us to the point where you immediately know, oh yeah, this is what's happening. This is what God is saying. This is how I must respond. And what could be more important than that in a time of crisis? So then what did God say about this crisis Israel was facing? Well, he said quite a lot in this short little book, just three chapters. In the English Bible, it's three chapters. In the Hebrew Bible, it's four chapters. I don't know why. Ours has only three. It's the way they divided it. But in this short little book, God said quite a lot. In fact, it's repeated and quoted more than any other little book in the New Testament. And so there's a lot in here in this short book. And so today, what I want to do is I just want to give an overview of this book rather than actually get into the content. We'll start that next week. But I want to just give an overview, a background of this book. So in the midst of the great crisis, God's word came through the mouth of Joel the prophet. That's a great name by the way if you have a son, Joel. But the name Joel or Yoel, it means Jehovah or Yahweh is God. Okay, that is an awesome name. Yahweh is God. And like I said earlier, we know almost nothing about him other than his dad's name, Pethuel, okay? <laughs> And some Bible scholars believe Joel could have been a temple prophet. I mentioned that earlier, connected to the temple in Jerusalem. The only reason they think that is because he talks a lot about the temple and he cares a lot about what what happened in the temple during this crisis. And so he might have been a temple prophet. This also means there's a possibility he was alive before the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. And why would people think that? Because he's talking about the temple as if it's still there. So it makes sense, right? He must have been around before it was destroyed. After Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it, it wasn't around anymore. So Joel must have been there before that. A number of Bible scholars believe that Joel actually could have been alive as far back as 835, 825 BC. Hundreds of years before Nebuchadnezzar showed up. And the reason why is because, I'm sorry, in this book, Joel never talks about a king which is kind of strange considering there's a national crisis. Imagine something major happening in the U.S., and people are talking about it, and they don't ever mention Biden. They don't ever mention the president. So that's very strange. So people think, oh, maybe Joel was alive and doing ministry when there was no king in Israel. When was that? That was back in 835, 825 B.C. That also happens to be the time when Elisha the prophet was alive. So Joel and Elisha could have been buddies. They could have been contemporaries. Alive at the same time. So we can't be sure of any of this. This is just stuff that we kind of get from the book because we're given no history, no background of who Joel is. But we do know this. Joel was alive and doing ministry when Israel was in rebellion to God. So if he was alive in 835 BC during the time of Elisha, we know that this was a time of gross idolatry. The Israelites were running after pagan Canaanite gods. And this could have been the reason why God brought this plague of locusts. So God brought it. So what exactly happened, this plague of locusts? Well, since ancient times, locusts have been well known for utterly destroying everything in sight and the entire food supply of nations. So in case you're wondering, what are locusts? Locusts are basically little uh, insects. They're like large grasshoppers. They have heads that look like horses' heads. Very interesting, little insect. And there are different kinds of locusts that go through different stages of life. And Joel seemed to be aware of that. He accurately describes them in verse 4. But here's the point. These locusts can reach devastating numbers in a very short amount of time. Okay, massive numbers of locusts can form very quickly. A single female locust can lay five—I'm sorry, 50 to 100 eggs at a time. And the eggs only take about 10 days to mature and hatch. And so with this speed of reproduction, swarms of locusts can form very quickly. Okay, here are some shocking facts about locusts. A medium-sized swarm can contain 1,000 million locusts. <laughs> I'm like, did I read that right? Not just a million. A medium-sized swarm can contain a 1,000 million locusts and cover an area of 20 square kilometers. A single swarm that size can consume as much food in one day as 35,000 people. People who have encountered locust swarms, and I've actually heard testimonies on YouTube, but they say when they see the swarm coming down, they can literally hear locusts munching on everything in sight, munching on vegetation and barks off of trees and leaves, and they even burrow into the ground and devour the roots out of the plants and they literally hear the locusts munching. One UN official said large locust swarms can eat the same amount of food in one day as everyone in New York and California combined. That's pretty insane. So a swarm of locusts can bring entire nations to their knees. It destroys entire food supplies, causing great famines. And these locust armies, and this is what Joel called it, it was an army of locusts, They can travel incredible distances. They can cover 81 miles in one day. They've even seen locust swarms fly across the entire Red Sea in one trip. And so they have perseverance. And this level of devastation was not only in ancient times. Okay, this isn't just in the Bible, but I read this. But back in 2020, just two years ago, there were severe locust swarms seen in Africa in countries like Kenya. We actually stopped in Kenya on the way to Malawi, beautiful country. But the UN warned that because of these locusts, the food supply for about 13 million people are at risk. This is back two years ago. And an additional 20 million people could be threatened if the crisis drags on. And in January 2020, people saw in northeast Kenya swarms of locusts, and please hear this, as large as 926.6 square miles. They said that is three times the size of New York City. (laughs) It's just bugs. They're just bugs, right? But three times the size of New York City, swarming through northeast Kenya, and it was on its way to Sudan and then Uganda. And they said a swarm that size can have up to 192 billion. We don't even know how big billion is. We just throw around numbers, million, billion, whatever, right? Billion. A billion seconds, I believe, is like 37 years. But 192 billion locusts can be in a swarm that size, and they can eat in one day the same amount of food as 90 million people. Okay, this is insane, right? So what am I saying? This crisis Israel faced was serious. Okay, this was real. And so this was a national emergency. And in the face of this crisis, the word of God came to the Israelites. See, this is God's grace. It wasn't like, oh yeah, poor Israelites. You'll get over it. Try to figure it out. But God in that national crisis, and we've all gone through crisis in our own lives, but God showed up and in great grace, he began to speak. And so what did God say to the Israelites through Joel? Well, basically God's word came basically in two parts. The first part is in Joel 1, verse 2, all the way to uh, chapter 2, verse 17. That's the first part. The second part is Joel 2, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 21. That's the second part. And the first part clearly described the crisis that was at stake. And a lot of times, we did not even understand what we're going through. We're so hazy, and we kind of think, oh, yeah, maybe this isn't that serious, or maybe it'll pass quickly, or maybe, you know, this is just something that happened because of an error. And God took the time to clearly explain In fact, we'll see this more next time, but there are different levels of people, different people in society, they were responding in different ways, affected in different ways. But one kind of person was the drunkard. And the drunkard, they were just living off the land, taking it for granted, and they were just having a good time. And that's the first person Joel addressed, interesting. He didn't talk to the leaders, he didn't mention any king, he just said, you drunkards, wake up! I'm talking to you, do you know what's happening all around you? And so God, he takes time to clearly describe this crisis. And not only that, but he wanted to make sure this was clearly known to the children and the children's children. It's important that we pass these things down. You know, oftentimes as parents, we always think about passing down blessings. Oh, do you know about the good things that happen in our lives? I want to pass that down. Or the good things that happen at church or maybe in our country. But the Bible is clear. No, you need to also make clear the the terrible things, the devastating things. You know, recently, Jill and I, uh, during 9-11, the anniversary, we were watching the video footage again, I mean, just shocking footage with our kids, and Jill and I, we really felt like it's important. You know what? This is really important, that our future generations know what happened. don't forget. Don't forget how our country was attacked for the first time in almost 70 years on our homeland and how it changed the world. Don't forget what happened. This is what God is saying, don't forget, pass this stuff on to your children. Don't just talk about the good things, talk about the crises. So in this first part, this is what God is doing through the word. He is making clear what is happening. Do you understand, you drunkards who are just living your life, having a good time, wake up! See what's happening all around you. Wake up! So this is God's first word. And in this first part, Joel brings up the two main themes of the book, which is the day of the Lord and repentance. This is the theme that you're going to see woven throughout the entire book, the day of the Lord and repentance. So let me talk about this for a moment. But Joel isn't the first one to use this phrase, the day of the Lord. He's not the one to coin it. I believe it was somebody else. It might have been Amos, maybe Obadiah, But somebody else coined it, but he built upon it. And unlike the other prophets who use that phrase, They used the phrase, other prophets, to mean a day of terrible judgment on the Gentiles, but a day of great salvation and blessing for the Israelites. So that's how they normally used it. But Joel, he took that and he built on it and he used it a little differently. But he used the day of the Lord to mean a day of great judgment for both Gentiles and Israelites. That would have been surprising. For God's people and those who are outside of God's people, that's how Joel used it. He said, judgment will also fall on Israel in the day of the Lord if they continue to live like the Gentiles and don't repent. And in fact, Joel, right off the bat, says, see, see this crisis right in front of you? Okay, this is the evidence. This is the example of that. Don't think the day of the Lord is just for non-believers and pagans and sinners living crazy lives. No, it can also fall on the people of God as a judgment. It's not just time of blessing. It could be judgment. So this would have been a total surprise. The Jews would have thought, how can that be? Judgment? In the day of the Lord? But we're God's people. Right? We're not Gentiles. We're not pagans. We're not non-believers. And Joel says, no, you will be under judgment. In fact, you are under judgment right now. That's what this locust plague is. Because you are not living like God's people, but rather like the unbelieving people of the nations. And because you're living like them, the day of the Lord has actually switched from great blessing and salvation to now judgment. And he never says this, but I think he's implying it. But he was saying, if you never repent and return to God, as things begin to break open in your life, as global crisis begins to hit, again, life is more than school, work, and Starbucks. So wake up open our eyes, as things begin to break open all around the world and in our lives, if we don't see that as an opportunity to come back to the Lord, I believe this is what he's implying. God's judgment is on you, that's what this is, is God's judgment on you, and you not coming back to the Lord is proof that you were never a part of the Lord. You were never a part of the people of God. So this is the first half of Joel's message. But that was only the first half. The second part gets better. But Joel, in the second part, shifts gears now, and now he begins to describe God's incredible blessings. Okay, we're talking about physical blessings, and we'll get into that. It's beautiful. And spiritual blessings. Okay, this is where we get the great promise of one day, in that day, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. It got fulfilled in Acts 2, Pentecost. But Joel begins to talk about these incredible blessings that God will pour out. On who? Just Anybody? People just living their lives, busy. No, God says, I will pour out my blessings on those and only those who respond correctly in a time of crisis by returning to me and thereby proving that you really are a believer. You really are one of my people. And so he describes in the second part God's terrible judgment upon those who will not repent but also God's incredible blessings upon those who will. And so this is all in the second part. But that's not all. Okay, please stay with me just a little bit longer. But in these two parts of the book of Joel, don't don't you want to understand the Bible? You know, as I study the Bible, I'm just amazed. The Bible is not hard to understand because it's dumb and written poorly. It's hard to understand because it's sophisticated. And professors who have dedicated their lives to study it, they say it's the genius of Scripture. It's the genius of Scripture. It is so complex and yet simple at one level, and yet so deep and sophisticated. But let me just go a little bit deeper with you. But the book of Joel, it does something interesting. It talks about the day of the Lord. There's judgment for those who don't repent, so please repent. So he starts out by talking about an actual locust plague, the day of the Lord, here and now. He's talking about crisis in our lives here and now, stuff that's happening to you in the world here and now. That's where he starts. But later, he, he takes that crisis, and then he expands it. Kind of think about, you know, stretching out like a piece of bubble gum, right? It starts out like a small piece and you go, and he stretches it out and he uses this crisis right in front of their faces, the locusts, to describe something, something much bigger. And what he does is he uses that crisis to talk about a much greater crisis, a much greater day of the Lord, quote unquote, that's coming. So that crisis right in front of them is the day of the Lord. Okay, Joel is twisting, or not twisting, he's changing the meaning a little bit. He's saying, this is the day of the Lord right now. Look at what's happening. This is God coming to bring judgment on those who don't repent and salvation for those who do. This is God's day. But then he stretches that and he says, but this is pointing to a greater day. It's a reminder of the final day of the Lord that's coming. And here in his book, he left it vague, but now we know what that is. That's when Jesus returns. There's a greater day of the Lord that's coming. And so Joel, he does something amazing, but through this book, he's talking about this day of the Lord right now in front of you, but then he stretches it, and he does it a few times, and he switches just immediately into there's a greater day, though. You think about that. God is reminding you there's a greater day. So then what's the point of all this? The point is Based on both the current day of the Lord and the greater day of the Lord is pointing to, God says, this is my grace on you. Return. Come back to me. Repent. And later, Joel, he goes into graphic detail. He's like, God, God says, I don't care about you tearing your clothes. I want you to tear your heart. Mourn. Don't live your life as if everything is fine. But come back to me. Right? This is God's message. He's saying we should stop living like non-believers even though we are believers. If we want that day of the Lord to be a day of great salvation and blessing, then we need to come back to God. And if we never do in the face of crisis in our lives, if we still persist in our way, then Joel's clear, that day of the Lord will be different for you. You may be an Israelite, you may be a quote-unquote Christian, a churchgoer, but it will be a very different day for you. It will not be a day of salvation, an incredible blessing, but it will rather be a day of judgment. So putting all of this together, this is how I see Joel's message in a nutshell. And then for the rest of the time together, we're going to kind of unpack it week after week. But this is how I see his message. Joel, or God through Joel, was saying, there are times in our lives when we're going to face a crisis. And that has been brought by God. Now, not every crisis is brought directly by God. Sometimes God merely allows it, and I say that because sometimes crisis comes because we're just sinful, (laughs) and people around us are sinful. And the Bible is clear. God never tempts anybody to sin or causes sin. It's just human beings being sinful. But God allowed it for the same purpose. But other times, he directly brings crises into our lives and into the world. Again, we're just coming out of a worldwide pandemic. And so like the locust, God will directly bring certain crises, and like the locust, is a crisis that strips your life bare of all the things that you trust in, boast in, value, care about more than God. It just strips us bare, gives the graphic image of the locust just munching, 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 all the way down to the roots. People have even witnessed trees becoming completely bare and white after locusts come through there. It strips everything. But this is the picture of the crisis. It strips our lives down. And as it does that, it will expose. It will expose our hearts, our sin. It will cause us to mourn. It will cause us, and for true believers, to return to God. So this is God's grace. We're going to look at that more next week. But our response does not come from only seeing the day of the Lord right here, right in front of us. It comes from more than that. But it also comes from us being reminded, oh, yeah, there's there's this crazy thing happening right now that reminds me of a greater day that's coming, the greater day of judgment, when Jesus returns. It's pointing to that. So it should immediately remind us, if you are shaped by the word of God, that should immediately happen. Okay, why is this happening in my life or in the world? Oh, it reminds me of the greater day. So, it's a reminder of the final day of the Lord that will come at the end of this present age when Christ returns. So, this is where everything is headed. So, every life defining crisis we go through should remind us of that. This is Joel's message. And if you understand that and you get that full picture and it's clear in your mind, what will happen? You will come back to the Lord. See, this is what God desires. So if we're going to be living like everyone else, like the unbelieving world around us, then we should not have any expectation. We should have no comfort in thinking that the day of the Lord is going to be a good time for us. Just because we say we're Christian, just because we go to church, just because we say, Jesus, Lord, Lord, the day of the Lord that you're facing right now, that we're facing right now, it should remind us of the greater day. And that day, it might not be a good day. It might not be a good day. This is Joel's message. Okay, this isn't what I'm saying. This is what Joel is saying. So rather than this great day of salvation and blessing that everyone's expecting, everyone in Israel was looking for that day. Oh yeah, it's going to be an awesome day. I can't wait. Joel says, hold on. You're living like everyone else in the world. Don't expect that. It could be a very different outcome. But if you see this crisis right now and it reminds you of the greater judgment that's coming and you tear your heart and you come back to God fully, you stop living like the world then Joel says, there are amazing things in store. There are tremendous blessings and salvation and renewal that will break open in your life. And what's more, not only on that final day, but then Joel, and we're going to close with this, but even right now, this is the amazing message of Joel, even right now, God's going to begin to bring renewal and blessing into your life and even salvation, quote unquote. God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Okay, that's the key promise in this book. God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. You know, that's such an amazing promise. But for those who see what's happening, they understand, okay, this is the day of the Lord. God's using it to strip things down, expose, causes to come back. It's reminding me of the greater day that's coming. Okay, it's not just about us here. It's not just about, our, it's about the whole world. It's reminding me, we're coming back to God. God says, I will restore. I'm going to restore everything that the locusts have eaten. This is God's grace. This is his gift. This is his love. And so this is, what a a promise, right? What a promise. And so many people, they live their lives carrying so much regret. You know, I've seen this firsthand in my own family. I remember hearing this one story. um, Sorry, I don't know what's going on here. But I remember hearing this one story by a pastor, a very well-known pastor in the UK. But he was talking about how his father, who was a pastor, he had a church. And one day, suddenly, this man, an older man, started showing up to all these meetings. So he would show up to the prayer meeting. He would show up to Sunday. He would show up to small group. And then he even showed up to the women's meetings. So he's just showing up to every meeting. And so the father, who's the pastor, basically approached him, saying, what's going on? Right? Why do you come to all these meetings? You don't have to come to every single meeting. And this is what this old man said. He said, I come to every meeting at church because when I finally met Christ and received him as Lord, I was 67 years old, and I'm making up for lost time. And so he's like, I'm coming to every meeting. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of an endearing story, but here, here's the truth. You don't need to make up for lost time. It's not you. You don't need to do that, right? You don't need to show up to every single meeting. I mean, come out to some of them. But you don't need to do that. And the reason why is because here's God's promise. It's not you. You're not restoring yourself. It's me, right? I will restore all the years that the locusts have eaten. And so I love what this pastor said. But he said, God can do more with a man or woman who has fully devoted themselves to God in late years, in later age, than a believer who came to faith at a young age and basically did very little just drifting through life, half-hearted for God. God can do far more with a man or woman who came to faith in Christ late in their life, who is fully devoted, fully returning to God. So what does that mean? God will restore. It's an amazing promise. But then God goes even further than that, and he says, if you return to me with your whole heart, I will pour out my spirit upon you. There's no distinction whether you're of high rank, low rank, male, female, whether you're a Jew, Gentile, everybody will receive my Spirit who returns to me, and you will be blessed in ways you cannot imagine. And this is the promise the New Testament latches onto and says: right now at Pentecost is being fulfilled, in the last days is being fulfilled, even right now is being fulfilled. We are in the last days. So God's promise of His presence will be poured out upon us. So this is God's promise. How many of you guys want to know God? How many you guys want to experience who God is? You know, this past weekend when I was with the young adults, that's what they talked about. We had a lot of sharing, a lot of break-off groups, and almost everybody said, oh, I just want to know God more. I want to experience him more. Well, this is the promise. Again, it's not you, right? What are you going to do? God says, if you return to me, I will pour out my spirit on you. So I'm going back to the beginning where we uh, began this overview. It is all grace. It is his grace. Even in the face of the greatest crisis, that they could imagine, God spoke, and it was pure grace. How are you going to respond, right, again, in crises? And so this is a great grace. And again, we may be facing crises in our lives. I see potentially one, at least two or three, gathering on the horizon, but there may be some coming our way. And so how are we going to respond? You know, I mentioned earlier that we had that time of sharing life map, testimonies Uh, it was a great time but during that time I was so encouraged because as people were sharing their lowest points and realizing that wow everybody has a life-defining crisis in their life but they didn't stop there and all of them were believers but they all said you know out of that time though like a parent unexpectedly passing away or a physical injury they said but God was working in my life and some really powerful deep things were happening and then God began to restore and that's why they were all there that's why they were in church Walking with the Lord is because God restored the years that were taken away. And I got to share a little bit during my messages, but it was an amazing time where after those sessions were over, they actually put a stool right in the middle of the room. I sat on that stool. It was a little bit awkward. Everybody was staring at me. And then they said, okay, we're going to have an AMA time. It stands for ask me anything. I'm like, okay, ask me anything. And during that time, they actually asked a lot about my testimony So it wasn't like theological or like complicated questions. They just asked a lot about like, tell me about your life. How did you become a pastor? What did you go through? And I actually got to share a lot about my testimony during that time. And even as I was sharing about my own story, you know what I began to realize? At one point I talked about wells of renewal. But God, during the lowest points in my life, the greatest crises, and one day maybe I could share it to all of you. But I'm talking about things like my brother unexpectedly passing away when I was in college. He took his life. I'm talking about my parents' marriage falling apart unexpectedly. Or no, it wasn't unexpected. I saw it coming. But then, yeah, them separating. Okay, them going through extreme financial hardships. My other brother really going, get, getting into a lot of trouble. I, I'm even talking about things. I shared this yesterday with that group. But even my children being born with hearing loss, one after another. I shared with them that wasn't division for my life or my wife. That's not what we thought when we started having kids. That's not my vision for my life. But God said, But this is my vision for your life. And just going through all of that. But then, even as I was sharing that, you know what I realized? It was during those times God was digging the well so deep. Even as I was saying, God, I don't understand, right? I didn't know the book of Joel, I didn't know how to respond to crises in my life. God, what are you doing? This is not the vision for my life. And yet God during those times was digging the well so deep, so deep to the point now where I cannot deny the goodness of God. I cannot deny who he is because eventually, and hopefully I can share this later in a more fuller sense, but later God restored everything. He's been restoring everything. It's amazing what God is doing even now, I'd love to have you guys come over to my parents' place. But my parents came back together after 15 years. God is just restoring. That brother who was spinning out of control, he got saved, baptized, walking with the Lord now with his own family. I mean, just amazing things. My children just really growing up in the ways of the Lord, beginning to show evidence of salvation. And even their hearing loss is becoming overcome. I mean, God is just restoring everything. See, this is what Joel's talking about. If you come to me, if you return to me with all of your heart during your lowest points, I will do this. I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Amen? So let's just bow our heads. Let's come before the Lord. But we need to understand what God is saying. We need to understand what God is doing. But God is an amazing God. And his promises are true. And his judgments are also true. And it's only to our loss that we ignore both. His promises and judgments. It's our loss. But for those who hear the word of the Lord and respond, there are amazing things. There are amazing things. God says, come to me and see if I will not bless you. You Come to me and see what I will do. Things that you cannot even imagine. So let's just come before the Lord right now. Let's humble ourselves. You know, I really could care less if you like this word or didn't like. I mean, what does that even mean? I mean, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. What matters is, did you hear it? Do you understand it? Are you going to receive it? Not my word, nothing that I said, but but God's word. How are you going to respond in the day of crisis in your life? What are the thoughts that are going to go through your mind? What are the things that you're going to begin to do? My prayer, my prayer for everyone here in this church is we will do what God has said in his word. So Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and we we give you all the glory. We thank you, Father. Father God, we we wanna be a people of your word, of your spirit. We wanna be true people who turn from living like everyone else That is why you bring the day of the Lord upon your people. But living like everyone else and coming and fully, fully returning to you. And your promise is just watch and see what I will do. If you come to me, if you come back to me, just watch and see. And so, Lord God, please help us. Father God, we give you all the glory. Oh, we we love you. We thank you, Father. You're glorious. Please heavenly father
1: You know the future
0: we don't know the future We don't even know what will happen in our lives tomorrow Let alone next year But we do know you and we know your word So the Lord God we come before you right now Thank you father Thank you father Let's just spend a moment or two just asking God to open our minds to his word and what he's trying to say through his word. Can we just start there? And if you want to return to the Lord, maybe you're not walking with him. Maybe you're far doing your own thing then take this time to return to him as well but let's just come before him (laughs) Once <laughs> Not everyone hears your word. I'm not under any illusion, but I do pray that at least the ones here, the ones joining us online, I pray, Father, we would hear your word. And if we didn't hear it today, come back, come back, come back. on their own, look into the word, look into the word, look into the word. We are clueless. We are lost in the open sea with no map, no compass without your word and without your spirit illuminating it for us. We are hopeless. And this is why the path to destruction is so broad. Millions and billions of people do not know your word. They ignore it. They could care less. It's the last thing on their minds. And crisis comes, the day of the Lord comes, and it's too late. So, Father God, we want to be a church that clings to you and clings to your word. We want to be a church that is constantly inviting others. Please, please come and hear what God has to say about your life. You are in dire trouble without it. Please come hear it. So, Father God, please. I don't know why you put such a spirit of urgency on my heart. (laughs) It wasn't always like this, but Lord God, but I do sense it now. There is an urgency on my heart. Please, God, help us to stop playing games. I'm so tired of games. you're letting me grow into an old man and i'm tired of games i've been there been around the blog it's not even that fun i want what's real i want i want you i want you god i pray that everyone here would be the same we want you god god speak to us please show us we give you all the glory father we give you all the praise we worship you in jesus name we pray amen Let's rise for final worship.